Hey folks, welcome back to the mystical world of PK. I'm KP, the preacher's kid. Today, I want to share a definitive mystical experience in my late childhood as a PK. This one is about the great fish took place outside the realm of my father's church. Often, I believe, I had truly more spiritual experiences in the natural world of the state of Maine than in my church. What at the time of occurrence didn't seem that mystical, nevertheless, over the years has slowly acquired a mystical quality in my recollection of it. Something about this experience I'm about to relate certainly has a poetical significance, a symbolic significance, but I'm not so sure of what it represents, what it is supposed to mean, what I am supposed to learn from it. It just remains suspended in the mystic shrouds of my imagination and memory. This experience of the great fish perhaps defines the concept of mystical. And maybe this is what I've learned from it. I don't know, really. Let's give it a listen and see what you think. It was one of those days when my father slipped out of his ministerial role and turned into an outdoorsman. We were headed for an afternoon outing on the lake chain, starting with the Madanaukuk at the local boat launch in Lincoln. Dad had his spin cast pole and his battered metal tackle box. I had my favorite rod and reel and my tackle box also. Our guest for the day was revered by my family as a grandfatherly figure, Mr. DeLoss Moody. His wife of 60 plus years, Rosie, and he were long-standing members of our church. Loss and Rosie were born and raised in Maine. They both loved the outdoors. They were Mainers, the real thing. <laughs> Rosie drove their car. We never saw DeLoss behind the wheel, ever. DeLoss moved slowly. He was nearly 80 years old. He was a large man. He stepped into the boat first and sat in the middle. Then Dad climbed in and seated himself by the five-and-a-half Johnson outboard motor in the rear. Then it was up to me, last, to push us off as I jumped into the bow. Soon after, we rigged our poles and began trolling the length of Matanaukuk Lake. No bites. When we reached the lake's end, we winched the boat on metal rollers up the slope to Long Pond. Here's where the main magic began. The air was still. The sound of the far distant local pop mill could no longer be heard. Occasionally the loons would call out to each other. The skies were lowering for rain as we motored up, motored up the middle of Long Pond. This lake was long and narrow, which required that we follow the deepest part up the middle. 
I was trolling for bass and pickerel as my father navigated the boat at a very low speed. The water was shallow even in the middle. I could see clear to the bottom. I hoped to catch a glimpse of a huge lunker hanging out at the edge of a thick underwater forest of aquatic weeds and shaded groves of lily pads. Dad and Mr. Moody were discussing the weather. Rain would be approaching soon. I reeled in my line so Dad could speed up the boat in direction where DeLoss pointed to a small opening in the trees on the left bank, which turned out to be a weed-choked channel leading to another body of water in the lake chain. Very slowly, Dad nursed the boat through the weeds and pads over the deepest part the middle again of the channel. I could hear and almost feel the weeds brushing below our feet. The propeller was snagging up in the weeds. Dad would have to stop the boat, cut the motor, tilt the blade out of the water to unwind and rip off the tangle of water plants. During one stop, while my dad harvested weeds from the channel bottom, as Mr. Moody chuckled, I made a couple casts with the yellow bobber, something that would float on the water and avoid snagging on the bottom. Suddenly, there was a large swirling on the surface, and a large gaping mouth engulfed the popper with a vengeance. In my excitement, I yanked on the rod to set the hook and only yanked that popper right out of the fish's great and terrible mouth. I think it had teeth. Finally, after we made a couple stops to clear the blade, the channel deepened as it entered a small lake called Round Pond. Rain was starting to fall, the thunder already rolling in. Round Pond was surrounded by a thick forest of evergreens and white birches. The lost knew of a cabin we could use for shelter nearby. The cabin was nowhere visible. To us, the lake shore was devoid of any signs of human habitation. By the time we pulled onto shore, rain had started to fall heavily. Dad dismounted the motor, then turned the aluminum hull over. We placed our gear under it, then proceeded to the cabin under cover of large spruce and pine. Sure enough, the door was unlocked and there was a welcome note on the kitchen table stating guests could use the premises as long as they left it how they found it. We ate our lunch as the rain poured down outside. The camp exuded the smell of old cedar and pine. A cozy place to be in a storm like this one. While Dad and DeLoss chatted over sardine sandwiches and a thermos of coffee, I read a popular science magazine left by the couch. As the storm passed over and the sky opened for the sun to beam down full force on the area of Round Pond, the mist steamed from the forest floor and the surface of the lake. Quite a magical setting to my eyes as a 12-year-old. I exited the cabin and ran down to the boat. 
I grabbed my pole from underneath it and started casting as far as possible into the mists rising swiftly off the lake. I whipped that lure out there, looping high, then plummeting into the ghostly still water. Gave it time to settle, then began to slow retrieve. I did that a couple of times, until I paused to look closely at something going on in the middle of the lake. The sun had already burned away some of the mist directly over the lake that shone like a mirror. There was the telltale swirling of water indicating something large feeding on the surface. Then in a flash, the sight of a large fish circling for a final sweep, its long silvery girth unlike anything I've seen in a main lake, reflected the sun's rays for a brief moment before vanishing into the deep water from which it came. A circle of ripples remained marking the spot. I hurled my lure out there as far as possible again, but could never get it there without the use of the boat, and the boat was turned upside down without the motor. That was the sight of a lifetime. It's lasted for a lifetime, and I'm still living. That silvery side of this giant fish flashing under the sun that peered down through the roiling mist to the lake's center where the great silver fish rose to the surface. Perhaps, since this was a natural lake, albeit small but deep, this fish I saw was a prehistoric ancestry, a freak of nature, undiscovered by anybody except possibly for the folks who built the cabin. It was Maine magic. It was the wild unknown. A mystery. A secret handed down through the centuries. A secret strain of fish surviving from the times of the ancient glacier that changed the face of the earth forever. Now, folks, I don't know to this day what that image of the big fish swirling out of sight means or represents. It just lingers in my mind like the mist stirred up by the burning sun on the spot where the mighty fish circled for the lethal strike on that mirror in the center of Round Pond. Man, if I ever hooked into that great fish it would have hauled me and my aluminum boat all over the place if it didn't snap the line first. I wanted so badly to catch that thing. I figured it must have been half as long as the boat. Round Pond surely was secluded. Hard to get to, as was the cabin hidden on a shore. The water was icy clear allowing one to see 20, 30 feet down to its boulder-strewn bottom. Some of those boulders of granite were huge. I thought of the huge fish that dwelled under and among them. Talk about a magical world. No wonder I wanted to be a marine geologist at one time. Who knows what I could have discovered? Well... The sight of that long, silvery side of the great fish vanishing back into the waters of deep mystery 
will fade from memory until a pair of eyes other than my own see it breach the mystic surface a hundred years later. <sighs> when I think of something being mystical, I mean that it is elusive and thereby beyond reach. Those are the qualities that make it mystical. Elusiveness, beyond the reach of all sensory knowledge. I will never objectively know the species or actual size of that fish. It could be hidden, yet to be revealed knowledge. Maybe that knowledge is not meant to be known. Perhaps the mystical experience is just a reminder that there will always be the unknown, a body of knowledge not to be known in one's lifetime. Perhaps it's a mere waving gesture from a higher power that exists beyond our human comprehension that yet remains to be discovered after this lifetime, when the veil of its mysteries finally lifted off. In fact, for all I know, that mystical fish could have been a gigundous water serpent that fed on the lake's surface only under the cover of rising mists after a rain shower or at night under the telling light of a full moon. Maybe that's why the loons holler at night, to warn their colleagues that the serpent is near and poised to seize them from below. <laughs> oh, well, gotta go for now. Until next time, may we find our way. Thanks for listening.